Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Going into this week, I faced some difficulties. Not me personally, maybe, but as a pastor. And I thought about ways that I was supposed to handle it. As we all do, we all go through difficult times. We all go through situations in which we um, have to come to a point in our life and say, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do to help the situation or how am I not going to worsen the situation? And so we evaluate things and we evaluate things in our minds and we come to an understanding that we don't always have the answer, do we? So what do we do? Where do we find the answer? Some of us, it might be a friend. Some of us, it might be your pastor. It might be uh, a family member, friend, whatever. But how often do we go to God and allow him to give us the peace and understanding to know that we don't have to have the answer? We don't have to rely upon our own thought process to come up what we need to accomplish what we want to accomplish, but just to allow God to intervene and allow him to give us exactly what we need. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning because it's a thing that we struggle with. It is something that I struggle with, and that's patience. The patience to understand and let God do what he does. To not get into a hurry about solving something. To not get into a hurry about getting in the way of what God really wants to happen in a situation. And like we've done every week up to this point in this sermon series, we've began with a quick review of several important characteristics of The fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning won't be any different because the fruit of the Spirit is demonstrated by being and not doing. It is demonstrated by being, not doing. In other words, like he says, be still and understand that God is there with us. Secondly, We know that the fruit of the Spirit is developed as Christ followers cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And then also the fruit of the Spirit is to be delightful to an unbelieving world. That is the purpose of displaying these nine virtues in our life. And it's not something that we, again, we pick and choose. All nine of these should be evident in the Christian life. It is commanded by God. And I know most of us who have gone through just the first three are like, I've already failed. Don't worry. I'm right there with you. We fail on these because we forget who gave us these virtues. We forget what drives us as a Christian. And it is these nine virtues. So how do we do this? How do we display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? We do that as a body. And that is reflected in two aspects of our life together in the body. In other words, us as a church. Us as members of the body of Christ. The first way we do that is learning how we treat each other. We learn how we treat each other. And then secondly... Our corporate worship. Those are the two areas. And today, again, we're focusing on patience as one of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. I'll say that again. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. Like we have experienced with the first three elements of the fruit, uh, love, joy, and peace, it is 
essential, essential that we begin by defining what Paul had in mind when he wrote that the fruit of the Spirit is patience. There are two different Greek words that can be translated as patience. And so I'm going to give you a little uh, Greek lesson this morning. In English, hupo is meaning under. Okay? And mone is to let abide or to abide under. So the word here we're looking at is hupomone. Hupomone. Look it up. Okay? But it is used in the New Testament to describe bearing up under difficult circumstances. We all can relate with that. Amen? We all deal with difficult circumstances. And we saw that word used several times. Uh, not too long ago, we were in the book of Revelation for a, for a few uh, Sundays there. Where it was translated, patient endurance. In other places, it is translated endurance or steadfastness. But the word that Paul uses to describe the patience as an element of the fruit of the Spirit is a different Greek word. And that word is makrothomeia. Makrothomeia. And it is also a compound word. Macro, which is long. Thromeia is temper. So put it together. Long-tempered. Long-tempered. We're slow to anger. We're slow to anger. In the New Testament, the word is used in two distinct ways. First of all, it describes a spirit that will never give in and which will endure to the end in order to reap the reward. We endure to reap the reward. What is our reward? Go ahead. What is our reward? A lot of different answers, but they're all correct. It is also used more frequently to describe having patience with other people. When used in that way, it describes a person who has the opportunity to take revenge, but refuses to do so. And I really like that way that um, a gentleman by the name of William Barclay describes this kinds of patience. And it says, it is the spirit which can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and fools without irritation. Not surprisingly, it is this Greek word, makrothemia, that is used to describe the patience that God has towards us. That God has towards us. And we'll see that in some detail a bit later. But the, perhaps the best way for me to illustrate to you the difference between these two words is to look at a passage where the writer uses both words. In some cases in this passage, the words are actually the verb form of the two Greek words. So, turn with me to James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. Seven it says this. It says, be patient. So right away, what kind of patience are we talking about? Do you know? Of course you don't. That's why I'm going to tell you. Be patient. Macrothomia. Macrothomia. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient. Macrothomia about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And then in verse 8, you also be patient, macrothomia, and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, 
macrothomia. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then finally in verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, hupomone, there's the difference, hupomone, you have heard of the steadfastness, hupomone, of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, Job is described as having hupomone, but not necessarily macrothromia. Because James is focusing here on Job's ability to abide under or bear up under difficult circumstances. And we all know the story of Job. We know his difficult circumstance, but we also know the ending of that story. Did Job endure? Yes. Did Job go through enormous sacrifice? Yes. Did God bless him through those sacrifices? Yes. You see, on the other hand, James uses the word macrothomia to describe the patience of the farmer who waits for the fruit to be produced. And the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, but never saw much of what they spoke come to pass. Much like us in our own spiritual walk, right? Our job is to tell others about Christ. But I think a lot of times when we're presented with that opportunity and we go through that process, we don't see the fruits of that labor, do we? Sometimes we do. But we have to go into it with an understanding that we are planting a seed. We are giving them an opportunity to make that decision on their own. Because we cannot have that relationship to Christ with them, can we? That's for them to experience. That's for them, for the Lord to come into their life and to exhibit his presence within them. We can't do it for them. But God calls us to do those things. Why? Because who did it for you? Who spoke to you about Christ? Why are you sitting where you are today? Why are we here serving the Lord? Why do we open the Bible? Why do we listen to sermons? Why do we listen to Bible study lessons? Because someone cared enough and understood that God can work through them to get to them. And so we do the same. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we don't like it. But a lot of times we have to exhibit patience. Because we live in a fast food world. And what do I mean by that? We want everything now. We want everything now. We want answers now. We want relief now. We want your presence with us here now. It's all about now. But God says, hang tight. Relax. Be still. Understand that my presence will take care of this. My dealings with you personally will deal with this. Let's look at one more passage that focuses on more of this second aspect of macrothomia. And then we will be ready to build some principles that will help us to keep and develop this kind of patience within our body. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're looking at verses 8 through 15. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. I love the sound of rustling pages. I do. Reminds me of school. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15 says, But do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, macrothomia. He is patient towards you. 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And then in verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Waiting. We do not like that word. Wait. We do not like to wait. But God says, wait. We wait, and for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. And then verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And then it goes one word further, to be at peace. We talked about this last week, to be at peace. And then finally in verse 15, And count the patience, macrothomia, of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom, wisdom given to him. So here we see clearly that God exercises patience with us by refusing to take revenge. Even when he has the opportunity to do so. So in fact, we undoubtedly deserve God's wrath, but God withholds that. And he does that in order to give every single person an opportunity to repent and commit their lives to him. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't even know what that means, you're in the right place. <laughs> you are in the right place, so welcome. We certainly saw God's patience being exercised throughout the journey that we call Revelation. I know many of us have gone through. It's not a particular book of the Bible that I like to focus on, but there's so many great nuggets in there that we can pull from and, and use today even. But Revelation should be a motivation for us. It should be called motivation, not Revelation. It's motivation for us to get out there and do what God has called us to do. Because we know what's coming. Amen. We know what's coming. God repeatedly held back the full extent of his wrath to give people an opportunity to repent and come to him. So from both of these passages, we can clearly see that biblical patience is certainly not characterized by passivity or inactivity. Which is quite often how we think of it, don't we? We can also begin to see how when that kind of patience is exercised within the body of Christ, it is appealing and it's alluring to the world. That kind of patience is rarely carried out, though. We also have to develop our patience in the way we treat each other, like I talked about earlier. How do we do that? How do we develop our patience in the way we treat each other? First of all, we recognize the value of the process. We recognize the value of the process. We see this most clearly in the example of the farmer in James chapter 5. I've never been a farmer, but if there's one thing I do know about farming is that it is a lot of hard work. 
So the patience of the farmer, as we have already noted, is clearly not a matter of inactivity or passivity, is it? The farmer has to cultivate the soil, sow the seed, water, fertilize, protect the crop against weeds and insects. And then finally, at some point, he or she gets to harvest the crop. And much of that process is out of the farmer's control. Most of that process has nothing to do. He can prepare all he wants. And he can see things going the way it should. But I think as most farmers would tell you, it doesn't always work out that way. Much of that process is out of his hands. And in particular, he is at the mercy of what? Weather, right? He's at the mercy of weather. And the farmer never really knows how much his fruit... Or his work will bear until the final harvest comes. But he must still be faithful to engage in the process. Or there will certainly not be any fruit at all. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Just make note of it. It says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If there was ever anyone who could have claimed to complete the process... It was Paul. But Paul recognized the value of the process itself and he embraced that process. One of the ways that we put this principle into practice here at Winton First Baptist is in the way that we uh, operate here with our councils. Let me give you an example. We do not merely make decisions based on majority rule, but rather operate on consensus. In other words, basically what I can tell you from experience that operating in that matter is not always the best way to operate. Why? Because you've got a differing opinion. You've got a differing opinion. I have a differing opinion. But what's great about the process is this. We come to the majority And we're convinced that we make better decisions and we are much more effective as a body by being patient and allowing God to work through that process of bringing all of us together in that mutual process and of that mutual thinking. Why do churches survive and thrive the way they do? Because we have a lot of people. No. Because we have lots of money? No. It's because we are like-minded individuals. And we come together for the betterment of the church, the betterment of its people, and then we take it that much further and we reach the masses. We understand it does not end here. It goes outside these doors It infiltrates our lives. It infiltrates the people and the relationships that we have built in our lives. It goes further. And through that process of bringing all of us to a place of that mutual agreement. And much of the value of the process comes in knowing that when we do make a decision and go forward on all of our leaders are 100% behind that decision and they will pray they will pray and do all they can to see those decisions bear fruit for the kingdom this is why we do what we do this is why so many of you are part of committees it's not just to sit there and spin your wheels and say look what title I've got let's put that aside Let's come and do what God has called us to do. 
Secondly, we bear with the weaknesses of others. So we've recognized the value of the process, but now we bear with the weaknesses of others. And this is certainly consistent with God's patience towards us. See the, you see the correlation there? God has every right to take action against us because of the sin that's in our life. Yet he withholds that wrath in order to give us the opportunity to experience the fullness of our salvation in him. As Peter writes, it is God's patience that is our salvation. We are to treat others in the same manner. We are to refrain from taking punitive action when someone is in the body, demonstrate some area of weakness. Dave and I talk quite often, and we always come to the conclusion that we love on people. No matter what, we love on people. Because we understand that we're not perfect either. But we have to be a people that work together. And how do we do that? We come to an understanding. An understanding that God is in control. That God will guide us. God will be the all in all in everything that we do. So we don't tear somebody down. When someone displays weakness, it becomes our weakness. And so we help. We do what we can. In both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul gives us a further commentary on this aspect of patience within the body of Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'll read as you're getting there. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy to the calling to which you have been called. That's great. Say that again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Can we all raise our hand and say we're doing that? Try. We try. Yeah. We try to. We don't always get it right. But that should be our blueprint as a Christian. This is what we should be doing. Because if I'm not walking in a godly manner... How can I expect you to do so? And so on, and so on, and so on. The world looks to make us look like hypocrites on a daily, sorry, an hourly basis. They look for those opportunities to say, ah, look at that Christian. He claims to be one thing, but does another. It goes on, it says, with all humility and gentleness. So we are to act in a godly manner worthy to which the call that we have been called to do. But in so, in that process, we exhibit humility and gentleness. And then it goes even further, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a mouthful. And notice it's not or. It's and. 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 We are to exhibit all these things. And then Romans 15, 1 through 3. You see, we... We put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And, notice the and again, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Man, that's tough. Right? Because I know when I've been wronged, what's the first thing I think of? Man, I can't believe they wronged me. Why would they do that? 
But that's always going to happen. And sometimes that person is not going to ask for forgiveness because they don't even know what they've done. So what do we do? What does God call us to do? We forgive them anyway. Even when they don't ask for it, we forgive them anyway. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with these failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The reason we are to bear with the failings of the weak is for the ultimate good of the other person. It's the ultimate selfless act that we can portray as a Christian. We love on them anyway. Just, just as Jesus has done with us. So what does that not mean? It means that we are to just ignore the sins of those who are part of the body? Certainly not. God certainly doesn't ignore our sin. In fact, he often brings some form of discipline into our lives in order to get us to recognize and deal with our sin. And there are numerous passages, particularly in Paul's writings, where we are commanded to deal with open, continuous sin within the body. But, again, the idea there is not to punish those sins, but rather to bring that person to repentance and to restore their relationship with God and with the body. That is how we operate. That's a church. That's a body of Christ. And then thirdly, we're slow to anger. We're slow to anger, but we're quick to forgive. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. And this is certainly not the norm in the world around us. We know that. In fact, people are even making money by helping others get revenge. I'm not joking. People are helping others get revenge. And there is actually a website that I found this week in researching this that <laughs> offers to help people get revenge on those who have offended them. you believe that? I'm not going to give you the name of that website just in case I've done something to offend some of you. But I will tell you that their slogan is revenge at its best. And then there's an author named George Hayduke who has written a number of books. Some of you might be familiar, some of you are not. But he has written a number of books with titles like The Big Book of Revenge. 200 Dirty Tricks for Those Who Are Serious About Getting Even. The Complete Book of Dirty Tricks in Spite. Malice and Revenge, The Ultimate Guide to Getting Even. But as Christ followers, as Christ followers, we are not to behave like that. Instead, we are to be like God and be slow to anger. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We've seen this principle a couple times already in the passages that we've looked at this morning. And once again, we see this principle demonstrated in God's patience towards us. Because God's desires, and he desires that no one should perish, he chooses to refrain his anger and wrath. But he is the ultimate example of being long-tempered. And when a person does come to that point of repentance, God's forgiveness is immediate and it's permanent. 
We also saw this connection between patience and forgiveness in the passage from Colossians chapter 3. This is where Paul follows his admonition to bear with one another with these words. If one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And this is obviously not the only place in the scriptures where we are commanded to forgive those who may have wronged us or even those we think have wronged us. And as I looked through many of those passages this week, I couldn't find one that indicated that we are to wait to forgive. Did you hear me? We are not to wait to forgive or wait until someone has asked for that forgiveness. Now, obviously, that would be the best situation uh, for everyone involved. Obviously, it makes it a lot smoother. The offending person realizes that he or she has done something to offend another and then goes to that person to seek forgiveness. And then that person chooses to forgive. But you know what? None of us can afford to wait for the other person to ask forgiveness before we forgive. Because the only person that we're hurting when we refuse to forgive is ourselves. I may think that somehow I'm exacting some kind of vengeance or uh, (laughs) revenge on another person, but all I'm really doing is putting myself into bondage. I'm certainly not sharing that example because I've got this all figured out, folks, because I don't. But if there's one element of the fruit of the Spirit that I struggle with the most, it's today's message, patience. In fact, this is one of those weeks where I feel like I'm preaching to myself instead of you. But that doesn't mean you get to close your eyes and fall asleep. Right, Stanley? We develop our patience in these things, but we also develop our patience in worship. We keep our focus on God's ultimate purpose. Because ultimately God is patient with us because he does not want any of us to perish. And we need to make sure that it is our focus as we gather together to worship. That's where our focus should be. One of the things we see in that passage is that the worship that took place in that jail cell. I can't even say that right. Jail cell. Pointed people to Jesus. We talked a lot about that last week. Everything points to Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers through his death and resurrection. Everyone involved in planning and preparing for our corporate worship, our AV team, Dave, all of us, we work hard every week and we spend time together on Sunday so as to not bring attention to any of us, but rather to Jesus and the great salvation that he has made available to all of us through his patience. But all of us, all of us are susceptible to being distracted from that focus. While we certainly can't begin to address all the ways that we can be distracted from keeping our focus on God's ultimate purpose, let me address two of them just briefly. Some of those distractions are self-imposed because we come into the worship service with our minds on things other than Jesus. My mind has drifted a few times this morning because I know what's waiting for me at home. Lana put in a uh, meatloaf. That's my favorite, in case you didn't know. But we come in here and we put our focus on things other than Jesus. We need to take the time to properly prepare our hearts. 
heeding this relevant instruction from Paul in Colossians 3 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Some of us can't really focus on Jesus because of some conflict with one another or another brother or sister in Christ. Fortunately for us, Jesus provides us with the practical instruction on how we need to deal with that. Go to Matthew chapter 5. It's laid out there for you. In effect, what Jesus was saying is that if you're coming to worship and you have an unresolved conflict with another believer, you need to take care of that first before you come to worship. And one way we do that is we change the way we think of time. Change the way we think of time. One of the things we saw in the passage from 2 Peter chapter 3 is that God doesn't think of time like we do. To him a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And one day we'll get to experience that sense of timelessness as we spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we've taken time and divided it into units of measure like years, months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, seconds. And one of the primary reasons that we have done that is to measure productivity. For instance, we measure the productivity of our time when we're driving in terms of miles per hour. In business, we measure productivity in terms of how many units a factory can produce each hour or the number of transactions a bank teller can process in a day. And unfortunately, that aspect of time often can impact how We view our time together in worship. We instinctively try to measure our time together in terms of productivity. So, we begin to evaluate our worship experience with questions like these. What benefit did I receive for my investment of my time today? Was it truly good to be in the house of God? What did I learn today that is relevant to me and can be applied in my life? I've got so many other things to do in life. Was today's worship service a worthwhile use of my time? But aren't you glad that God doesn't ask these these same kind of questions when it comes to our salvation? Aren't you glad that God is not nearly as concerned about the hours and minutes and seconds as he is with eternity? Unfortunately, and just coming back from there, Las Vegas is a lot more effective than we are. Let me explain. If you've ever been to a casino there, you'll notice that they do everything to remove any sense of time. Why do they do that? There are no windows, so you can't tell whether it's day or night. They remove clocks from everywhere, and there is a purpose to that. The goal is to get people so caught up in what they are doing that they don't even think about time because that equates to more profit. It's not a secret. Las Vegas is probably calling me now. You're you're telling them our secret. No. It's common knowledge. But they have changed the way they think of time. We need to change the way we think about our time. I'm convinced that if we really begin to grasp the nature of God's patience with us, it would revolutionize our worship. It really would. Instead of worshiping with one eye on the clock or our watches or whether I'm going too long today, if we focused on God that time would no longer be such a concern. And although the ultimate focus of our worship is to be on God and not on our own benefit, 
it is also true that genuine worship always does, always does impact how we live our lives. But it requires some kind of response to God. And so this morning, I want to challenge all of us to respond to God in some way that will help us to develop patience. Patience in our relationships with one another. And also in our corporate worship time together. Yep, I did it. I asked for patience. It's coming. But perhaps this morning you've never responded to God's patience. And you haven't come to a place of repentance and committed your life to Him. Perhaps you've become discouraged with the process of your own spiritual growth or even the spiritual growth of us as a body. And you need to recognize the value of the process. Perhaps you're not the very patient person with the weaknesses of others and you need to do a better job of bearing with those weaknesses. Perhaps you've been quick to anger and slow to forgive. And you need to reverse that and become slow to anger and quick to forgive. Perhaps you've offended someone or you need to seek forgiveness or maybe you need to forgive someone else even if they haven't asked for forgiveness. Maybe you need to change your focus in our corporate worship and begin to think of time more like God does. And not focus so much on needing our time together to be productive in your personal life. Or maybe you need to take care of things in your own life, in your own relationship with others. So that you won't be distracted when you come here. Allowing yourself to focus on God's ultimate purpose of drawing people into a relationship with him. But here's the good news. Regardless of how God is calling you to respond to him today, you don't have to do any of these things alone. You don't have to do any of these things alone. The body is full of people who are here to help and make um, commitments with you and work towards carrying them out in your life. So ask someone to help you out. I know that all of our deacons and leaders would love to do what they can to assist you in that area and in those matters. And there are many others in this body who are capable of doing that as well. So we do not have an excuse. God wants us to ask for patience. And I know that sounds scary. It is for me. But when we understand how God is patient with us, shouldn't that motivate us to reciprocate? Because I know that's how we build relationships within the body of Christ. And so we do that. We begin to be more patient. Patient with others that are really difficult to be patient with. We do that because that is what God has commanded us to do. Amen? And so we do that. And we understand it. And we ask God for those gifts. We ask God for those tools to help us because we know that we're not able to do that on our own. And sometimes that's hard too. Not only to exhibit patience, but to ask for help. Gentlemen, am I right? It's hard to ask for help, but God is right there. And he's providing tools, all of you, to help facilitate that. Amen? Dave, come. You're speaking. I'm thinking about the times that I fight against God in my own walk with Him. And maybe you experience the same thing. You fight against Him. But you know it's futile because we're fighting against the power that gives us the power to fight. It doesn't work out. So let's stand together. And as we go into this week, 
May we encourage each other to do this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time here this morning, Lord, and as we struggle with these fruits of the Spirit, I know some of us do, some of us don't, but I know that there are areas where we can improve, Lord, and this is definitely one of those. Lord, I pray that you give us opportunity to uh, improve upon these things and to be more like you in our dealings with our relationships and, and especially with our relationship to you. Thank you, Lord, for... Um, this church that has given me the opportunity to come and to learn and to um, further my relationship with you in turn then I can uh, do as you called all us to do and that is to tell others about the gospel. So we're going to continue to do that uh, in any way that we can. And so Lord, we just thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your grace and mercy and I pray that you keep us safe to our appointed destinations today. Lord, we love you so very much. And it is in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. Come and greet them. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.